Well, we are in a series right now on the seven deadly sins, which also speaks to us about the seven virtues. If we're going to combat these sins that we all have to face, we need the virtues of God's Holy Spirit to get us through that. And we began last week by looking at lust, and what we are finding is that these seven deadly sins, three of them deal with excess gluttony, lust, and greed, three with maliciousness, pride, wrath, and envy, and one with deficiency, which is sloth. So this morning, we're going to finish up looking at those sins of excess. Excess. Last week, we looked at lust. So now the sins of excess is lust, gluttony, and greed. So this morning, we're going to look at gluttony and greed. So pretty much, I hope everybody feels pretty bad today by the time we're through so that we would understand where we are positioned in the world's economy, in the world's situation. We've got to understand right now that we're a collection of rich people sitting in a very lavished building compared to the rest of the, of the world. You say, Pastor, we're on this side of 16 Mile. <laughs> if you understand the American society and where we're at, we are so filthy rich. We have such excess. And, and what I want us to do is really... Um, it's not your fault you were born in America, but it is our fault with what we do with it. You know what? We've got to do something about it, and we've got to live a life that is honoring to God. So we're going to take a look at gluttony and greed. We're going to start with gluttony. We saw that last week with lust, we know that a pure heart... Remember, the motivation in all of these issues between sin and virtue starts where? The heart. It's a heart issue. It's a motivation of the heart. And so that's what we've got to work with. So let's take a look at at gluttony. Now, um, gluttony, if there's a demon behind it, it's an inordinate desire to consume more than what is necessary. Consuming more than what is necessary. And it's an overindulgent appetite for self-gratification. We've all been there. It is a... Listen, when I'm going through these seven deadly sins, don't any of you think you're getting away with anything. (laughs) This is a condition of all of us. So we all must look at this before God and say, God, help us. You've given us power to overcome these things. And some of you might say, not gluttony, I'm good, I'm schvelt, look at me. And it's like, you know... Gluttony comes in a lot of different forms. It may be food. It may not be food. It may be whatever you need to consume in excess. Um, Jesus was called a glutton and a wine-bibber. How about that? Because the Jews had a very strict sense of these sins that offend God. And they had a real problem with Jesus going house to house, eating and drinking, and it's fellowship with, with sinners, right? And so they called him a glutton and a wine-bibber. Well, well, Jesus didn't eat to excess. He fellowshiped. And, and some people say this about Christianity. It's like, well, well I can't do all those other sins, and, and so what's left? Let's eat together. Well, eating together is fine, and the concept behind eating together is fellowship. Breaking bread together, historically and throughout the world, breaking bread together is an act of fellowship. It's a act of sharing covenant meal and food together. 
And that's a good thing. The issue is excess, isn't it? It's the issue with everything concerning gluttony. It's just the excess. But there's also another aspect to gluttony. C.S. Lewis writes about it in the screw tape letters. He calls it a glut a gluttony of delicacy. A gluttony of delicacy. Not just excess, but a gluttony in the sense of this. He gives the story of a lady who when she goes to tea, he was English, so they're going to tea, that she needs to have just her kind of tea. She'll accept no other. And it has to be at the exact right temperature for her to enjoy, as well as the bread and toast that they bring for her to eat with her tea has to be cut in a certain way with the crust removed and toasted to a specific set desire. And what he points out in this kind of gluttony is that, you know, we have to have just so for us. And sometimes I talk to folks who are waitresses uh, who work at restaurants, and, and some of their worst customers are Christians. And I talk to Christian businessmen all the time as well, and they hate working for Christians because Christians are so demanding. In other words, it's another form of gluttony. I want this and I want that. I want it like this and I don't want it like that. And because you're my brother, I expect a big, deep discount. Does anybody can confirm what I'm saying? Do I get some, some amen? Okay, you know what I'm talking about. And then in leaving a chintzy tip instead and leaving a track, give them your money. They're working hard for it. So C.S. Lewis talks about this kind of gluttony that, that it's not just overindulgence, it's also an act of indulgence on such specifics that it becomes so gluttonous to your particular tastes. I hope you understand what he was trying to get at, and I think it's important. Here's the key to gluttony in understanding it. Paul says this in Romans 6.19. He talks about the flesh and he talks about sin, and he says that sin is ever-increasing. And the second point is that the flesh is never satisfied. Now, when we say the flesh, we mean our bodies. God made our bodies like a mechanism. It's a machine, right? It's got input, output. It's got senses and sensory perception by which we input information, we process it, and we output information or actions. It's a, it's a machine. It's, it's, a, it's a mechanism. And how many of you know because of the fall, this mechanism can get out of whack. He's got senses within us that give us pleasure. And so he didn't need to give us five tastes, right? Well, there might even be more. I forget. They added a new one. You watch the cooking channel. There is now a new, besides sour and sweet and salt, and there's a new one. What's the new one? Anybody know? Savory? Something like this. Yeah, I don't know. But there's a new one. You can find it. Eat. You'll find it. So, so there's, he didn't have to do that. I mean, I don't, I don't think cows taste the grass they're eating and horses taste the... You know what I mean? We get to taste all these... But that can go on overload. How many of you know that? I mean, this nation's on sugar overload. Would you agree with that? Right? Salt overload. Sugar overload. So it's not enough just to have some seasoning. We are gluttonous about the seasonings. Right? and about the sauces, and about this, and about that. So here's one thing. In working with gluttony, you must understand. Your flesh will never be satisfied. It's a mechanism that isn't going to say, I've had enough. 
In fact, quite the opposite. It's a mechanism that says, I need more. Because you reach a plateau of saturation and then you what? Need more to have it kick in. That's what addiction is all about. Addiction is the release of endorphins in your mind and in your brain. So if you take the little white pill or if you take the little red pill or if you take this pill or that pill or you smoke this or, or snort that, it causes the, an endorphin release in your mind that gives you a high. Okay? A lot of you know what I'm talking about. And, and so what happens is you got that high, you got that buzz, but what happens is you saturate a level of endorphin release and then what happens? You take that drink and it just doesn't do it anymore. You take that snort, you take that toke, you're going to need what? More. Because the mechanism has saturated to meet the levels that balance it out, so it needs more. And it's the same from a food high, a cigarette high, whatever kind of buzz and high you need. Could I encourage you that there's a high above all highs? It's the person of the Holy Spirit that will give you what you need. The peace you're looking for in a substitute, you can find truly in the Spirit of God. And the love and the joy and the peace and all that. Okay, so it's saturated. So the flesh is never satisfied. So we've got to do something about it because you'll never reach a time where you go, oh, I'm good. Right? I can quit at any time. Mm -hmm. And here's the second thing. Sin is ever increasing. That's the reason there's a hell. That's the reason there is going to be a hell and a lake of fire for all eternity because those who die in their sin will live for eternity. All of us are eternal beings. We'll live forever. Can you imagine an eternal being that is born un- that, that goes into eternity unregenerated without the Spirit of God? They're fallen for eternity. So what's going to happen to their sin levels? It's going to increase. So a thousand years, a million years of a sinning person's life, with that kind of increase, you need to lock them up. And that's what hell is all about. It's a containment center for that kind of sin. Now, let's go on. Look at what he says in Romans 6.19. I'm using an example from everyday life because of your human limitations. In other words, we don't get this spiritual stuff. Just as you used to offer yourselves as slaves to impurity or to sin and to ever-increasing wickedness, So now offer yourselves as slaves to righteousness leading to holiness. So we've got to leave gluttony behind and go towards self-control. That's the virtue we're looking for. But here's the key to self-control. You can't do it. You need to have a power, and I said this last week, you you need to have a power in you that's greater than you. Does that make sense? How, how, How many of you have dieted? I'm finishing up a diet. How many of you in your diet have found yourself warring with your flesh? Right? Because I can't have that chocolate. I want that chocolate. I'm very angry at not having I'm Give me it. Isn't it funny how, you know, how you do that? Well, we need self-control that comes by the power of the Holy Spirit. It's a spiritual control of the self. And we need a dunamis power for that. So, That is essential, essential. It's an ever-increasing wickedness. So this is what we have to do to stop that. We've got to work towards, and we need to make this our prayer, every one of us. 
we've got to work from gluttony, which is the, the natural default of our flesh to want more and to be, have more, to self-medicate, moving to a self-disciplined life by the Holy Spirit so that we can walk in rightness with God. We can bear the fruit of holiness. There's goodness here. Uh, uh, let me just share it with you some statistics to prove my point. In the last five years, sales for oversized caskets have increased 20%. We can't bury people in the same caskets anymore. There's a problem today with, with the sin of gluttony in the United States, but we don't call it that. We call it obesity. And, and we call it not, not only obesity, overconsumption. But it's sin. 75% of Americans say they're Christians. 65% are obese. There's, there's a mismatch. We'll call out adultery. We'll, we'll call out lust. We'll, we'll call out uh, uh, stealing. And we'll call out lying. But we're, no one is calling out the, this gluttony. And so we really, we really have to do with, deal with it. And it's not just food. 67% of adults are overweight, says the uh, Journal of American Medical Association. Americans eat 222 pounds of meat per person per year. Wow. Americans waste about 20 to 25% of all food that they purchase for their home. That's 475 pounds per year of wasted food. We throw out 200,000 tons of edible food daily while the rest of the world is starving. Added sweeteners comprise 20% of the American diet. Among 19 to 30-year-olds, 45% of men and 27% of women are, uh, have heavily drank alcohol in the past two weeks so you see it's not just food it's also drink we're consuming and gluttonous about our drinks how many of you know i know that the mayor uh, wanted to restrict the amount of uh size cups that you could buy at fast foods and it sounds a bit ridiculous that the federal government would get in on this i would think that heaven would have a louder voice to the christian population do we really need the governor to tell us what to eat and drink We've got a governor living within us called the Holy Spirit that should do something. I mean, you, have you seen the big gulp? You see the gallon jug you can get to drink your drinks? It's outrageous what we're doing. And, and we're used to it. We're immune to it. Annual costs for nutrition related to diseases in the U.S. exceed $33 billion. Americans constitute 5% of the world's population. Americans constitute 5% of the world's population but we consume 24% of the world's energy. That's unsustainable. That's not sustainable. Uh, let me put it to you this way. The average one American consumes, one American consumes as much energy as two Japanese, six Mexicans, 13 Chinese, 31 Indians, 128 Bang Bangladeshis, and 307 Tanzanians, and 370 Ethiopians in energy consumption. So what's happening is this. Our energy just consumption is gluttonous compared to the rest of the world. Well, again, Pastor, that's not my fault, and I'm just doing what an average American does. I understand that. I mean, you're not going to save wattage. You know, I mean, you remember how your mom always said, you know, eat that. There's kids starving in China. What are you going to turn off your TV? There's people who need energy over in Bangladesh. You're not going to do that. 
But the statistic does point something out to us, doesn't it? We're off the charts with, with what we're doing. And really, the rest of the world is, is, is in poverty and barely getting by, and, and we're people living in lavish conditions. We, we've turned off our furnaces for the winter, and now we're cranking up our air conditionings for the summer. My kids grew up, they didn't, they didn't realize that there was a time we used to live without air conditioning. crazy stuff, you know what I mean? These uh, unusual situations. But if we're not instructing our children into this as well, we're going to need help. Americans eat 815 billion calories of food every day, roughly 200 billion more than needed to feed 80 million people. Uh, The average American generates 52 tons of garbage by the age of 75. The average individual daily consumption of water is 159 gallons, while more than half the world's population lives on 25 gallons of water. There are more shopping malls than there are high schools. So, uh, what do we do with this? What do we do with this? There's, There's something that we need to do with it. And I think there's a message that's coming to the church we are supposed to look different and act different than the world. I remember being in Russia, and as I was in Russia, it was in 90, I think 1990, 91. And this was before the wall came down. I was in Leningrad before it got changed back to St. Petersburg, and we were in a, a bombed-out cathedral that the church had try, is trying to restore. And there was a prayer box up front. And people were putting prayers in it, and I, and I asked what they were praying for, and uh, um, they said that they were praying for their health. That's all they had. And, and the bread lines were outrageous and all this, and I said, well, what do you consider for America? They said, we pray for our health to stay alive. For America, we pray that you will no longer be prosperous because your prosperity has destroyed your faith. They said, we came through 70 years of communism with our faith intact. In the last 70 years, your church has failed under the weight of prosperity. And now this prosperity is in our churches and in our pulpits. We're preaching gluttony. We really are. The the theology of the day is gluttony. It's gluttonous. You turn on the TV and they're preachers of gluttony. It's, there's something wrong in this, folks. We've got to have our eyes. Rub your eyes real quick, would you? Just do this. I know, ladies, you got makeup on. Do it. Dab it very gently. <laughs> Just beautifully. And, and, and say, I have got to wake up. I have got to wake up. I'm killing myself. And as a nation, we're killing the church. And it's a spirit of gluttony. It's sick. There's no other way for it. Paul says this. Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 6.19. He says, Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. You were bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. 
Therefore, glorify God in your body. This is our responsibility. You are no longer your own. This is not your body. I can do what I want with it. No, you can't. According to the Word of God, you can't. And we've got to stop living that way. You're not the boss of me. He is. You took communion today. Do you want all the benefits of that communion? If you want all the benefits, then obey it. So we do not own our body anymore. (coughs) Excuse me. As Christians, we no longer own this body. He says, therefore, glorify God in your body. And that's key. That is essential. I like this next quote by Jim Rohn, an author. We must all suffer from one or two pains. The pain of discipline or the pain of regret. The difference is discipline weighs an ounce. Regret weighs a ton. And so you've got to start now with the issue of discipline. Discipline is just choosing something, choosing between what you want now and what you want most. That's discipline. Do you have to have it now? Have to have it now? Or could you wait? This is why fasting is so essential. Fasting in the Christian's life teaches how to break the power of flesh. It teaches you how to set your spirit above your flesh. I like to use the phrase, we abstain to gain. The concept is abstaining from something in order to gain something else. It's that simple. If I abstain from the gluttony of this particular thing, I'm going to gain better health. If I abstain from this, I may gain this. If I abstain from eating because I'm praying, I'm going to gain a greater reward for my prayers. Does that make sense to you? And so fasting is essential to break the curse of gluttony and to break its power in our lives. And so may I encourage you to do that, to discipline and choose the fruit of the Spirit. And we're talking about self-control. And self-control is really essential. Now, uh, that comes from the ministry of the Holy Spirit who is going to call you out. So I would like all of us to raise your right hand up. Raise your right hand up. And, and I'm going to ask you to pray a prayer with me to ask the Holy Spirit to adjust your sensitivity to gluttony, okay? So that the Holy Spirit, not me, not anybody else, and I'm not asking you to make a vow, I'm asking you to ask the Holy Spirit to turn the volume up so that when that spirit of gluttony comes, you're going to hear Him sooner than you make that choice, all right? Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I ask You to increase the sensitivity of my heart to Your Holy Spirit, that I will hear You tell me to abstain, that I may gain a greater reward. Amen. Amen. Okay. So, so we're, we're purposely now tuning into the Holy Spirit. Yes, you could have that third cookie that you bought from Hardee's or, or Panera, but you don't need three cookies, right? And, and, and we're going to do this. And all of a sudden, our eating now is under the authority of the kingdom of God.
Really? You want Jesus to be that much in control of your life? Yeah, because you're going to spend most of your time in the hospital, if not, when you're asking for prayer. Can I get real? Can we get right down to it? Right? I mean, half of us, our biggest problems are our health, which lead us into the hospitals, and we all want prayer then. But the prayer should have started on your third cookie. Does that make sense? Okay, so lead us not in tempta- into temptation. So, so that's where it starts. Now, let's talk about the other uh, excess, our precious. Ah, precious. Gluttony is about consumption. Gluttony is about consuming. Greed is about possessing. Okay? Gluttony is about consuming. Greed is about possessing. Gotta have it. Gotta have it. Gotta have it. Now, there are three basic forms for greed. Three basic forms of greed are this. More goods... For more power, right? You have the most toys, you win. Not. But more, more things makes you feel more powerful. It defines success. Success in America is based on what you what? Own. What you have. We look at that car. That car's bigger and better than my car. That car's faster than any car's faster than my car. That's a better car. It's a better this. Have watches. If you have money, God bless you. Good, good for you. But, um, you know, I mean, people spend thousands of dollars on watches. Wow, a watch. You can get a Timex for 20 bucks. does the same thing, but it doesn't make you feel the same, right? That's an inward thing of what's going on with how we feel. Secondly is fear-based needs. We need more. It's based on fear. I gotta have this. I need more of this. I gotta have more of that. I may lack. I may not have. I may miss out on something. I may not have what someone else has, so I need more. It's a base on lack. So it's on survive. I need to survive. I need this in order to be better. All right? Last one is a desire for more goods just for me. I want. I want it. I want more. I want that. I want it now. As Burger King would say, have it your way. It's the American way. I want it and I want it now. Isn't that J.G. Wentworth? It's my money. I want it and I want it now. Isn't that sick? I can remember the commercials. But it's a form of greed and, and that's what we want. How many of you know that in Exodus, one of the commandments is this? Do not cover... We, we remember it like this. We're not supposed to covet our neighbor's wife. And what we actually do is half the time when we think of that verse, we think it's about lust. It's not about lust. It's about greed. Because it doesn't stop. It's not about sex. I want my neighbor's wife. It's actually about coveting your neighbor, keeping up with the Joneses. You shall not covet your neighbor's house, your neighbor's wife, their servants, their ox, their donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. That commandment is actually about greed. But we've mistaken it for sexual desire. It's, it's about greed. So how many of you know about keeping up with the Joneses? Right? Uh, well, they got this, or they got that, and I got to get this, and that, and that. 
Uh, and we do this. And many times, even unwittedly and unaware, we're always having to get better and more. And Paul, as we talked last week, he found a place of contentment. You see, as Christians, we've got to have a different world view. Now, God bless you that God has given you prosperity and blessing for you to have things of nice comfort. Nothing wrong with that. But the ratio of comfort and finance should match the ratio of your benevolence. Let me, let me redefine that for you, help you understand that. All right, so maybe you can buy a, a, a Corvette, a Mercedes Benz, or a, a Rolls Royce. God bless you, that's good. But can your benevolence, can your giving match that level so that there's balance? And maybe all you can afford is a used pickup truck but you still give to match that level of a used pickup truck. See, we have a responsibility as believers. And and I don't apologize for preaching this, but our responsibility is to help the widow, help the orphan. This is the pure religion James talks about. We're to care for the sick, the dying. We're to care for the poor. We're the people who are to be benevolent. We're to be giving our finance. So what God has blessed us with, we're to be blessing. And so charity is the virtue that counteracts greed. Charity is the old English word for love, for benevolence, for caring. And, and, and so there's got to be a matched ratio. So this doesn't deny your blessing of wealth. It doesn't ben- deny what you do have because whom God, much has been given, what much is required. Some of the greatest people who were, were charitable in their giving were some of the richest people, and they give, and that's, there's, they're matching that ratio of blessing. And can I tell you, when you begin to give, God gives more, because He's found a willing vessel that will do what He's asked them to do. And so we break greed with benevolence and charity. James says this in James 4, verses 1 through Three, what causes quarrels and causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war with you, within you? You desire and you don't have, so you murder, you covet, and you cannot obtain, so you fight and you quarrel. You don't have because you do not ask. You ask and you don't receive because you ask amiss or wrongly to spend it on your passions." This is James speaking to the Christian community. And the word hasn't changed for us at all. And so it's a watchword for us. We've got to do something about our greed. And, and I don't need to call it out. I could. How many TVs do you have? One in every room? One in your bathroom? I mean, you know, how many, how many things do we have? Our entertainment is shopping. They've gotten rid of all the parks. We have no parks to walk in. We have no attractions to go to. So what do you do on a Saturday or a Sunday afternoon? What do you want to do? Let's go eat and shop. This is what we have been trained to do. We're mules in a circus. God, again, rub your eyes, everybody. Rub your eyes. Wake up, somebody. Somebody wake up to the gospel 
There's more important things to this, but we've been trained, we've been trained, trained as good little zombies. Don't pay it, don't look what's going on over here. Don't look over there. Go buy something. Buy some bubble gum. Be happy. Have it your way. Eat another burger and go buy something. And life is good in America. Gee, what's wrong with our country? What's happening to our country? Never mind. Don't pay attention. Don't look. Don't look. Here's a cookie. That's it. Eat the cookie. Yeah. That's right. Here, buy new shoelaces. I don't need shoelaces. Yes, you do. You need shoelaces. Okay, I need shoelaces. It sounds absurd, doesn't it? But this is exactly what we're doing. All of us. Man, God help us. Let me, let me tell you a story. Uh, it's based on Numbers 11. It's a situation where Israel was provided food in the wilderness. It was manna. How many of you know what manna means in Hebrew? It means, what is it? That's what the name means. That's how it got named. Right? You got up in the morning, how are we going to eat in the desert? And, he, and Moses said, there it is right out in front of you. And everybody went, what is it? That's what they called it every day for 40 years. That's kind of funny. What's for breakfast? Hey, what is it? Now it's just a matter of how you cooked it. That's what you kept asking. What is it? It's the same thing we've eaten for 38 years. So they were ticked. They wanted more. They wanted more. They wanted meat. And they started complaining, we want to go back to Egypt. We had meat, leeks, onions, casseroles. It was good. God said, I'm going to give you enough meat that you're going to have so much meat it's going to come out your nostrils. So he gave them quail. Now they're out in the middle of a desert, but what he did is uniquely he caused the, the winds to shift and so that the quail that usually were down by the sea shifted because of the winds and it landed in the camp of the Israelites. Now what's interesting is it said that it filled up it was in the camp for the, 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 the width and depth and breadth of a day's journey. That's anywhere between 10 to 30 miles. That's how much quail there was. And it said that it was up to um, two feet deep. That's a lot of bird. And he said, I will give you meat for a month. Now this is what they did. They went out and they started picking up all this food to load up a typical omer. An omer is the load on a donkey. It's about six and a quarter bushels or 50 gallons. So how many of you remember large trash bags of 40 gallon? So they had 50 gallons. Each person went out and started hoarding all this food as about 50 gallons each per person. They gathered a minimum of 12.5 40-gallon trash bags full of quail. And then they began to eat it, and then they began to cook it. And it says that when they began to start eating all the quail, it says while they were chewing the food in their mouth, God was fed up with them, and God spoke a curse against them. The gluttony. What will we do with gluttony? I would even have to ask this question. Are we in a spiritual position that if God brought revival, would we get gluttonous with the revival? 
Can you get gluttony with the things of God? Can we be so gluttonous over the move of God's Spirit that we forget to care for the lost? And I think that's what's really happened with the Pentecostal movement. We've become so gluttonous for our activities, our songs, our worship and dance sessions, our experiences in God, that for the most part the church has given up on evangelizing the lost because we're eating all the quail. See, something, so something's got to be adjusted in our spirit, and that is the spirit of benevolence. As long as greed is stronger than compassion, there will always be suffering. And if 75% of this nation's population says it's Christian, and yet we're, such, uh, we're so greedy and we're so gluttonous, something's not right. Something's really not right. There's a sickness and a blindness in the church. And God is having us study this so that we will wake up. Are you with me this morning? Amen? All right, so I conclude with this. This benevolence is necessary. Jesus said this, it is more blessed to give than to receive. This is where blessing is found. For the, now, look at, I'm asking you to swim upstream. This is contrary to what is being preached from most pulpits right now. They say, the more blessed you are, God will pour out more blessing on you. Can I tell you, if you get more blessing, give it away. If you get more blessing, give it away. Give it away. Oh good, because then you'll get more. Man, get your head on straight, will you? You need to know where contentment is, and the greater blessing is to give. I love this photo. I love this picture. This man knows he's got ten other pairs of shoes at home, and he gives the one pair away to someone who has none. And whatever happened, what happened at most revivals historically is something called disinterested benevolence. It sounds odd, disinterested, like I don't care. But the concept's this. During the early awakenings in the United States, the first great awakenings, it started this concept of disinterested uh, benevolence. Jonathan Edwards began to speak and preach it at the founding of this nation after the first great awakening. After that, the next great revivals came, and after those great revivals came all these groups like Salvation Army, Goodwill, um, all these groups that were benevolent groups, helping societies and all that. That came out of true revival. True revival attacks these deadly sins. <coughs> and the virtues begin to show up <clears throat> through true revival. Not gluttony of the Spirit, but benevolence of the Spirit. And the concept of disinterested benevolence is this. I am not interested in the benevolence giving for myself. It's disinterested. It's not about what can I get out of this. It's disinterested benevolence. In other words, it's benevolence that doesn't involve me. My name doesn't have to be on it. You don't have to give me a plaque because I donated. You don't have to put my name in the byline so that I get some kind of look at me deal. It's you give the money and you leave. You give the food and you leave. It's disinterested benevolence. It's the church doing what it needs to do and there's only one name that is recognized. There's only one name that is heard. It's the name of Jesus. We give out money here at the door a lot of times. 
people come to the door, they want money. We tell them we, we're not a bank. We don't have money. We, we don't have cash. We can't give you money. But most of the pastors here will give what they have in their pocket. But when we do that, we don't say, yeah, well, my name is this. Remember me. We say, look, we are Christians. We are doing this in Jesus' name. Would you thank Jesus for what just happened to you? This is from Jesus. And that's disinterested benevolence. And that's what's going to break greed, brothers and sisters. Your flesh is never going to think it's got enough. Can I tell you, you, you do? You've got enough. Now, let's learn to live with less and start giving more away. And we will break the power of greed and we will break the power of gluttony. Amen? Are you with me on this? Let's start us doing it. Let's make the change here in our lives, in this place. And maybe it will begin to impact the rest of the body. I believe it's a word God's speaking to the rest of the body of Christ in America. We've got to take care of the house of God. In other words, we've got to change first, right? Discipline, judgment starts in the house of God before it can go out and impact the community. And this is what God's saying. Let's bow our heads. Father God, I thank you for what you're doing in our midst. You're calling us to get our act together. We, we want you to do it. We keep praying, oh God, you send the revival. God, you do this. God, you do that. God, you do this. And it makes me really wonder why you would do anything if we won't even take care of what you've told us to do. God, it has to start in our own hearts. And I pray today it will. We've asked you, Holy Spirit, to cause us to be much more sensitive and to begin to pay attention on how to live a holy life. Through benevolence and self-discipline, we're going to walk in holiness and we're going to walk in victory. And we thank you for that now in Jesus' holy name. Amen and amen.